Good day. Welcome to the Trendy Place. This is the Trend Podcast with Justin A. Williams, and I'm here to bring you awesome content from all across the spectrum. Delighted to have you here with us this week. And our guest, Kevin Matthews Jr., or the second. He is here to talk about millennials and uh, financial advice for millennials, a kind of assessment of where we've been so far as a generation. And for non-millennials listening to this, you're probably going to be interested because you probably know a millennial. You probably have a millennial kid or a grandkid or a friend or in some way. This could be good advice to give them, obviously, because we hear a lot of conflict between the generations in terms of how boomers have been able to handle their money and millennials. And, you know, we've all gone through different circumstances. So to introduce him, Kevin is a Plutus Award winner and number one best-selling author. He has helped hundreds of individuals plan for their retirement in addition to managing more than $140 million in assets during his advisory career. By 2017, he was named one of the top 100 most influential financial advisors by Investopedia. That is a remarkable resume and, and, and so much more. And you also have a company, Build Better. What is the name of the company? Building Bread. Building Bread, yes, yes. So we also want to talk about that too and what you're doing there. But I, I just, you know, I'm a millennial myself and I think um, I think I'm in a little different position than some millennials. Well, uh, some millennials as my father was a financial advisor, he handled assets on, on Wall Street. I've talked about that on the program. My mother is uh, owns a business and so she's always talked to me about budgets and things like that. But for people who don't have that kind of cultural currency, people who don't go home and they're getting financial advice, what do you think millennials now should feel about where they are. You know, if we look at the numbers, millennials, um, while we have a lot of education, we also have a lot of debt. Uh, a lot of millennials feel like we are still too economically insecure to maybe have kids, uh, to buy a home. And some millennials still, uh, you know, live live with their parents or live with their family or uh, have roommates, uh, even into their late 30s. Uh, this seems to be a very different dynamic than what came before us. Uh, would you agree to that? It's it's definitely a different dynamic, and I think that this generation and and perhaps Gen Gen Xers as well who don't get talked about enough. Right. Um, but I I think we have to really rewrite the the rules of finance to a degree, because we by nature right we we sit down we look at our parents and like by 25 they had this mm -hmm. by 30 they had you know two kids a car and a house and all kinds of stuff we're trying to like benchmark ourselves to where our parents were and that's that's natural we always want to you know our parents want us to do better than where, where they were the problem is the economy is and the market is not at all what it was for us than what it was for them. Like my parents right. uh, worked for for local government. My dad was a firefighter. He had a pension. Hmm. Pensions almost don't exist anymore. Like wow, you could, I didn't know that. Yeah, like you could you could sit down, work somewhere for twenty five years, and get mm -hmm. you know fifty, sixty, seventy percent of your pay for the rest of your life, and you're set. Right. All you have right. to do right. is just do a little bit of investing, and you're right. you're good. Right. That's not. That's not us, right? Mm -hmm. uh, college was super cheap. You could pay for it with a minimum wage job. You can't do that anymore. Yes. So I, I think a lot of us have to sit down and say, okay, that's what worked for them. Mm -hmm. But none of that stuff is is the case anymore. You know, savings right. accounts were paying five percent. Like, right, what? Right. Right. <laughs> so, that's crazy. Yeah, it's like <laughs> what? I, I, I think I think that. I think my yield is like below a one. I mean, it's not even <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you know, we have to sit down and say, like, I. I understand there are some some of us who are absolutely jaded 
about, mm-hmm. you know, we, we came up during Oklahoma City bombing, 9-11, war, recession, war. Rec- <laughs> it was like mm-hmm. coronavirus. It's like, man, can we get a break? Right. Um, and, and all of that is true. It's just, you know, we got to sit down and say, what what is this? What does financial success look like for us? Because it's definitely not going to be the exact same as what our parents had, because none of that that situation is the same anymore. Right. I think what what is interesting is um, I think a lot of millennials are are faltered as being somewhat entitled and lazy. Um, I think what I can say as being a millennial is from my peers is that we looked at our parents' generation and then we looked at our current circumstances post 9-11 and things like that, Um, increasingly globalized economic uh, system. Mm -hmm. And we said to ourselves, well, this is, we kind of feel a little lost. But instead of feeling lost and just saying, you know, F it, let's just dive into it anyway. A lot of us felt like, well, maybe there's some alternatives. There's some alternative ways of caring for myself. Or maybe maybe even some millennials feel like money is not the most important thing. Right? So as as a, a millennial yourself, what what differentiated you from um, the per, the perception of millennials? Well, where have you come up against maybe some of these misconceptions? And do you think how did how did that not work for you? That's an interesting question. I, I think it depends on what side of the millennial um, bias that we may have or stereotype that we may have. Like when I think about millennials, I don't necessarily think of, of entitlement. I think of, you know, the side hustle culture. Like that's, mm, yes. that really started to pop up. And yeah. when I was in college, like 2008, 2009, when everything mm-hmm. crashed, yeah. I think that really set the backdrop for what millennials are about. And yes. what I've noticed, so in my own family, my stepdad worked for American Airlines. And when the financial crisis hit, he was laid off and he was laid off multiple times over the next like five years or so. Mm -hmm. And that's where I noticed like, oh, guess what? I will never rely on one income again. (laughs) You know, know, I'm going to get this this nine to five and I'm going to do something on the side. That's Mm -hmm. and then you get like the the Ubers and the door dashes and, and people doing, you know, right. the influencer culture, like all of that stuff where right. you had to have multiple things in a bucket. So, and, and honestly, I can't name a single person that I know in my generation who only has one single job and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So for whatever reason, we get, we get a bad rap for being lazy, but name, <laughs> name a millennial who only has one single job right, and right. one source of income. Um, right. But I think watching what happened in 2008, set the bad job for us and that, that loyalty thing too, where I don't want to stay at a job for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I, I saw how you, how you treat people when, when things get tough, right. I'm a, I will be the free agent. I will move when I feel it's, it's necessary and secure my finances in whatever way I see fit. Yeah. I think, you know, millennials have kind of chosen to say, you know, I'm going to die on this hill. You know, maybe past generations, we, they didn't, to be honest, to be fair to them, they didn't have the internet. And the internet yeah. has been a wonderful tool mm-hmm. for side hustles, for yep. uh, for whatever you want to do. You know, if you just want to be a blogger, right? I mean, you could uh, create a business online so easily and reach people so easily that it mainly makes it feasible to have a, a lucrative uh, side hustle. And a lot of the top companies that we see uh, started as side hustles, right? Yeah. They started as just kind of like, oh, you know, I, I was working at this company, wasn't really working out, started this thing, and now it blew up. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a gift that is not being appreciated within the 
the zeitgeist of American culture. I think there's a lot of bitterness, partially because it's driven by a lot of adults who feel like they wish they could have had the opportunities that millennials had. You know, all the time I hear like, oh, if I had your opportunities, if I had the internet, if I had uh, social media, if I had um, uh, the progressive agenda in terms of equity and inclusion and all those things, then I, w- I would be a doctor. I'd be a big success in all those things. And I, what I have always, what I would say to those people is that uh, yes, but it, it, I think, I think millennials uh, are in a unique position to also take care of the older generation in a better way than, than, than we have, right? Like with asset management being something that maybe millennials are not as concerned with as baby boomers were or Gen X, I think still there's a deep passion to innovate and a deep passion to, to create new answers to solutions. And I think that's, that's gotta be valuable. I mean, as you, someone who was an asset manager, you must've been, do you think you were challenged to cre- to be creative, right? Be innovative, be all the things that people say are the best parts of millennials, or do you think, um, like like some people, that you 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 were truncated in that way? I think had you asked me this question maybe four years ago, I would have had a different answer. I think mm-hmm. now you, I definitely have to be a lot more innovative in this space than what I have been before. So when we talk about cryptocurrency and blockchain and mm-hmm. NFTs, like all this stuff wasn't here you right. know, four years ago. And, right. and the, the funny thing is, in, in my space has been interesting because finance has always been finance. The stock market has always been the stock market. And it was simply just buy and hold, you know, I don't, Berkshire Hathaway or Coca-Cola stock or whatever it was. And that's just what it was. And I had to get people more interested in it. I had to, to make it fun and make it relatable and like hook people in to the magic of, of investing. And then things started to turn when Bitcoin started to come out. And then you had stuff where social media fueled a, an AMC stock or GameStop or something like that. And then people started coming to me about like all of these these wild ideas about you know dogecoin or you know i bought this this really cool picture for a thousand dollars and it's just a, a meme right. <laughs> you know so yeah. i think that's where that innovation comes in and now you know over the next five years we have to be even more innovative and figure out ways to educate people about how that how that this new edge this cutting edge of technology and finance how is that going to fit in to a more traditional portfolio, right? How do I, you know, take like my old, boring, yet effective 401k mm-hmm. and how much of that or how much money a- a- as a whole should I put in crypto? That like, that's that's not a question that people are asking yeah. definitely not even 10 years ago. But like five years ago, we were like, yeah, I don't know. Now it's like, okay, yeah, you should have like 5%. Right. Um, so as things quickly evolve, how fast can we, learn and innovate and make it a part of of stability because what we're doing mm. now with what millennials are doing now with their money this is something i have to learn and internalize and make a process for for my kids right like yeah. your dad probably said hey you know 60 percent stocks 40 percent bonds that's that's what you do right or yeah. something like that yeah. it's just what yeah. it is yeah. but now like i don't know how much that you should put in cryptocurrency for a child this is, mm. this, is all, this is all new right right um so being able like that's that's Cutting edge part, I think, is really picked up uh, more recently than what it has, you know, even in the last ten or fifteen years. Do you so? So you're a crypto fan? 
Yes. I am a big crypto fan. I'm a I'm a I'm an investor. I became one last year around around this time. Got some good advice from one of my closest friends. And it's really been one of the most liberating decisions I've ever made in terms of having my side hustle. And I think I think a lot of millennials feel like, oh, I'm all about that side hustle, you know, showing my skills, showing my talent. But then when I talk to maybe like, you know, my sisters or other millennials, they'll say, yeah, but I don't know, I heard bad things about it or, 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 or this. You know, it's very hearsay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, for any millennial, it's, it, it is an opportunity to take, your, take, take a software, right? It's not really a coin, it's software that you can invest in and that you can um, really get in on the game early into something that is technologically significant. People forget that a dollar is not really technologically significant, right? It's an exchange of a physical good uh, based off of some credit system. But uh, when you have digital currency that is scarce, that can't be inflated, I think it's uh, an opportunity that millennials have created for ourselves as a hedge against that kind of corporate stay the same, do what your parents did, fall in line, buy this, sell this. And I think it's really decentralizing the system. And I think it's I think I think like millennials, it's 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 scaring and it's um it's uh, disintegrating some old models that I think people are are not ready for. Yeah, I, I think so. I, and the the exciting thing about it is we're seeing the evolution grow like in front of our eyes and you have mm-hmm. to be you you really have to be on it. Um on yeah. it but then also cautious too, right? Um so it, it's it's like a weird you know, maybe this is first 5 first 10 years of this or so where you're going to start to separate Right where you see people who are in it really early, and you saw it when it was really really rough, and then it gets to like it, the beautiful stage. Um, yeah. I, I liken this the whole blockchain movement to how social media media was when it first started, and it was like MySpace was weird, Facebook was was only for mm. college kids, mm. and now right it's you know Instagram, it's the Facebook we know today, mm-hmm. it's TikTok, and like everybody has some social media presence somewhere. Yeah. Um, but those first few years were it was rough. It was real right. rough. Right. <laughs> so right. um, you know, I, I like to think of it like, you know, Bitcoin, especially Ethereum, like mm-hmm. all of NFTs run off Ethereum for the most part. Yeah. That's now, right, when you asked me what Ethereum was and how important it was five or six years ago, mm-hmm. I'm like, what? Now I'm like, oh shoot, this is this yeah. is definitely it. I see it now. Um, so it's evolving really quickly. Um, I understand people who are cautious, but you don't want to ignore it for too much longer. So like for somebody who wants to get into the game of investing, let's say it's not just crypto, it's um, it could be the stock market or maybe it's investing could be like a, a new business that's popping up in the local neighborhood they're looking for investors or something like that. What would you say are like three to four principal values or, or uh, kind of uh, – uh, motivation someone should have when they're going to invest? Yeah. If I were to narrow it down to, to three or four, I think the first thing is, is have patience. Okay. Like I think a lot of people, especially if you're a millennial and you are, you feel jaded and behind your parents' generation or even other people in, in your, right. your space. I right. get that. Right. I, I totally get that. And you're like, Oh, such and such. They're at this level. I need to catch up. 
I'm going really, really hard into this stop and I can yeah. catch up overnight. Right. Um, that's, I feel you, but that is not, that's not the, the mentality you want to take into it. You want to be patient um, and really run your own race. Mm-hmm. So patience is one of them. Um, being able to, to really do your due diligence and not mm-hmm. just, you know, oh, go read and research. Yeah, yeah, like everybody says that. Yeah. Um, I do my research, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like hey, I don't know. Um, but it, it's really the question. What I see people when they when people do their research and they come to me like, oh, I did my research. All right. they tell me is like, oh, this thing gained eighty percent in twelve days. They're just looking at prices. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. that's not that's not it. That's cool, but that's right. not it. That what the research that I like to refer to is what is what is the logic behind it. Why is this asset? Why is this stock? Whatever mm. it's going to be, why is that going up? And why is it supposed to continue in the future? And then how reliable is that that thesis? How reliable is that thought? For example, mm. right now, the time we're recording this, oil prices are going through the roof. Therefore, it makes sense that a company like ExxonMobil is up forty percent this year. Okay, that makes sense. The reason why that's happening is because we're not importing Russia um, Russian oil. All that makes sense. Supply, demand. Prices going up, gas pumps going up, or prices at the gas pump going up, all of that straight logic makes sense. Like you've done some research. Um, and then you can make a more informed decision. That doesn't make it the best decision, but it makes it a more informed one. And right. I think those are some of the things that people need. Um, I would say the other the other thing is just understanding how to prioritize, because I've seen a lot of people that will say, well, yeah, but I've got credit card debt and I got student loan debt and I know I need to invest. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do this one thing and completely ignore the others. Right. When in reality, you can you can juggle those things. You can make sure that at the end of it, you can have all three accomplished as opposed to saying, look, I paid off my student loans. It took me 15 years and now I'm starting off at absolute zero, mm-hmm. which sounds good to have zero debt. But now you're going to be working for forever because you have nothing right. invested. You have nothing growing for you. Right. Um, so prioritization, patience, and then understanding how to do your due diligence, I would say are the, the top three. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I mean, I think sometimes those 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 kind of things that people are looking at are like, that's like like second level kind of thinking. It's like, uh, it says in the it says in the Bible, it says that like there's the, the teachings for the layperson. And then it says that I think in um, either Luke or John, like then there's the gnosis, right? There's like, the higher level teachings that are that are yet to be revealed. And I think those kind of skills are like that. You know, those are skills that you only get to once you've really had maybe a failure, right? You, mm. you really believe in a stock, it didn't work out, and then you're forced to reassess. And some people go mm. one way, they just quit. And some people say, let me double down and really figure this thing out. And I mm-hmm. think those two mentalities really separate uh, people uh, in, in, in a lot of ways in life and, and investing. Yeah, I, I would say the biggest lesson, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that have really helped me to get here yeah. is to throw out the whole notion of, of perfection. For yeah. me, it was the fact that I started when I did is the, one of the biggest reasons for my success, period. So mm-hmm. I, when I started building brand my company, I, I started in 2010. I wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. I stumbled for years to really like get my footing and get to the places that I am today. Mm-hmm. And even if you, in the investing space, if you're investing $10 a week, $100 a month, whatever it is, it's not going to feel like you're doing a lot that first year. 
Yeah. But after five years, six years, seven years, you really start to see that amount grow and compound. But that right. also works for your experience. It also works for your research. When I started mm-hmm. researching cryptocurrencies and NFTs and stocks, like it was, I was like, ah, I don't get it yet. Right. I, I don't mm-hmm. see it yet. But that constant, you know, practice, that constant experience, that, st- that stuff starts to build up to mm-hmm. where you can easily start to, to see things that other people aren't seeing because you started sooner than everybody else. And I think that's the thing. Sometimes you'll look at somebody you're like, oh, you know, they've got two million dollars. I'm like, that's not where they started, though. Right. You're, right. you're comparing your first chapter to someone's, you know, ending. The, yeah. Last page of the book. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we we do tend to see that. There was a meme I saw uh, this morning, um, and it was uh, Usain Bolt was running, but this was before he was famous, and he mm-hmm. said, I, I, I've trained for, I guess, four years for nine seconds. Mm-hmm. But then the second picture is of him doing his, his thing, mm-hmm. his pose, and he's like, at the finish line, he's like, but, I mean, I, 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 I did more in those nine seconds than anyone has ever done. Mm-hmm. You know, ever. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know, when I when I when he broke the record for fastest uh, 100 meter sprint, and I I just and you know he did that on the biggest stage ever. He he saved that. He waited for that. Yeah, moment. yeah. And I think that's as an investor, that's kind of that feeling you want. You want to be like you did the research, right? And research is more than just looking at 